right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you guys today. My name is Mitch, and uh, yeah, I'm filling in for Pastor Jeff as he's back in America uh, to be with his family. Um, yeah, I know death is never a fun thing, but it's comforting to know that his father was a believer in the Lord, that he's with uh, the Lord right now. Um, but yeah, as a church, we have to yeah, continue to support him, continue to, to uh, be with him, continue to talk with him, and, and reach out to him and, and Cindy. Um, so before we start today, let's pray. And uh, yeah, ask the Lord to be with us. Uh, Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can gather together. I thank you for this church. I thank you for uh, yeah, Jeff and Cindy, Lord. I pray for them as they're back in America right now uh, to be with their family, Lord. I pray that you would comfort them. It's never easy to, to deal with the loss of a, uh, of a parent or loved one. But I pray that you would be with them, Lord. Bring them back safely. We thank you for this morning that we can gather together and that we can open your word, that we can worship together, Lord. So I pray that you would. Uh, as Chris said, speak to us this morning. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, my name is Mitch, and uh, I'm from America. My wife, Sarah, and I have been married for 11 years. We've been in Germany now. This is our fifth year here. We just came back from America. We were there for a year. Uh, we have four children, uh, and they've been born all over the world. One was born in North Carolina in America. One was born in Thailand, and the other two that we just adopted were born in Liberia. So, uh, yeah, our house is full of fun and a little bit of stress, but it's okay. Um, but yeah, they'll be here for the next service. But uh, yeah, we, we are church planters in the area. We work with uh, Muslims from Turkey. Um, and it wasn't always our plan to be in Germany. Originally, we were living in northwest China, um, and it was our hope to live there for the rest of our lives. But um, God had other plans, um, so we had to leave there for various reasons. And uh, we tried to live in Kazakhstan and Tajikistan and Turkey, but none of that worked out. Um, but then we heard about the, the opportunity or the need here in Germany, and it worked out. So this is where we've been for the past four, four and a half years. And uh, yeah, IBCD has been home to us as well, so it's, it's good to be back here. But um, yeah, three years ago, uh, in December, we were able to help start or help plant a Turkish-speaking church in Duisburg. Um, so in the afternoons, uh, on Sundays, we meet with about 25 or 30 Turkish-speaking believers. So it's, it's really cool to see uh, what God is doing there. So if we're not here on Sundays, it's because we're up there worshiping with your brothers and sisters in the north there. But all that leads uh, into today's topic we're going to talk today about Jesus and all the Bible, but because we are regularly around Turkish Muslims, they um, don't have a great understanding of Jesus and the gospel, and they uh, often ask questions of us like this. Is Jesus really God? Has the Bible really been changed? Can't God, or can God actually have a son? Uh, what do you actually believe? Don't we all believe in the same God? And these are all fair questions that have real answers. But today, I want to show you that Jesus is in all the Bible, that this um, Bible here is credible, that it's active and alive, that, uh, that when we're talking with our Turkish Muslim friends or our atheist German friends, that we can have hope in it, that we can trust its message, that we can um, look at it without error, that we can trust that it hasn't been changed, that it has a unifying message of salvation and judgment, that it is the actual Word of God, and that when we open it, uh, we are meeting with God, right? That He is actually speaking to us through His Word. 
You probably know this already, but uh, Christians and Muslims are different. But I'm not talking about our beliefs or our doctrines, right? I'm talking about our cultures and worldviews. Uh, let me explain. There are three basic worldviews. Uh, I forgot my clicker. Let me grab my clicker real quick. Sorry about that. I'm not used to these clicker things here. Here we go. All right. All right, so we got three basic worldviews. All right, there we go. Uh, Guilt, innocence, honor, shame, and uh, power, fear. Everyone in this room, everyone in the world has a particular worldview. Some people have a mixture of them, but more than likely one of them is more dominant. Uh, So, for example, a child who has parents uh, who are from China, but the child grew up in Germany, will have a mixture of worldviews, right? Uh, One of these worldviews will most likely have a stronger influence than the other, other, and the, the really unique thing about worldview is that uh, which worldview is the way that we view the world. So, um, yeah, worldview, the amazing thing about them is that they're, they're uh, all different. Nobody has the same exact worldview. So if we were to sit down and talk to one another, we would have a lot of things that we agree on, but we would also have a lot of things that we're different on, right? Uh, some examples... Uh, should animals be in cages and zoos or out in the wild? Should we drink glue vine at a Christmas market or not? Should we save money for the future or use it to help the poor now? Should we be wearing masks right now or doing church online? Or should we just go back to the way it, or it was before, right? These are all questions that um, aren't, we don't have specific answers in the Bible, what to do. But uh, our worldview, the way that we're brought up, our culture impacts these things and affects us, Right. Uh, And within each worldview, some things are allowed that are considered wrong or sinful in other worldviews. For example, lying in a guilt-innocent worldview is wrong, whereas in a honor-shame worldview isn't thought of as wrong if it protects the honor of the community, right? Yeah, so we got a few slides this morning. We'll start with guilt-innocent. People who live in Western societies like Europe or America typically have a guilt innocent worldview. But what does that mean exactly? Uh, Guilt-innocent people are about laws and rules. They, uh, there is right and wrong. There is order and structure. There is reward and punishment. There's righteousness and obedience. Does that resonate with you today, right? Does that sound like the German culture or American culture where we have lots of order and structure where uh, based on law and order, right? But why is this even important? It's important because when we read our Bible, uh, we often view it through this guilt-innocent worldview. We understand the gospel as being salvation for guilty people. The law was broken by Adam and Eve, and now we are born as sinners. We deserve to be punished for our wrongdoing, and uh, instead, God took our punishment for our sins. Now, by believing in him, we are rewarded with eternity— uh, forever with him, and we try to be obedient to his laws and commands, but we know that if we do, uh, or if we have sin in our life, that God's righteousness covers us. So typically, a guilt-innocent person views the gospel like this. Uh, but let me clarify, we don't view every story in the Bible like this, or every time we open the Bible, think consciously about how this Bible story relates to our worldview or vice versa, but we are more often drawn to or have a better understanding of stories that are related to our particular worldview. All right, so then you got honor, shame. An honor, shame person views it a little different. 
The honor-shame worldview encompasses most Muslims as they grow up in a culture where honor and shame are some of the driving factors. An honor-shame worldview is about community and togetherness and relationship. It's not based on the individual like it is in the Western world. Individuals don't usually make decisions for themselves, where uh, rather they uh, are either made by the community or for the community. Time together, taking care of guests, doing hospitality type things are very important. Uh, Reputation and identity are also very valued characteristics. So when the family or community is shamed or when uh, a part of the family or community has done something to bring shame upon them, it means uh, that something has to be done in order to take care of that shame and restore the honor. Anger, yelling, public shaming, and in, in extreme cases, honor killing, which you may be aware of, when that, shame, that person that brought the shame is killed in order to protect the honor of the family or community. Now, they do this because the honor of the community is the most important aspect of their worldview. So when they read the Bible, they're seeing the relationship that existed between God and man. And then because of sin, that relationship has been broken, but, but God did something about it. God took the shame on the cross. We just sang about uh, several of those songs mentioned shame. Uh, we, uh, yeah, that God took that shame on the cross, and he restored our honor. So he renewed our relationship, and this is the general understanding of one from an honor-shame worldview. One more focused on community and relationship. But I hope whenever you hear these things, you're not uh, seeing it as having a different gospel or a different gospel being presented to honor-shame people versus guilt innocent. It's the same gospel, but kind of like a diamond when you turn the diamond. It's the same diamond, but every angle of that diamond is different. Still the same diamond, though. All right, so the last worldview is power-fear. They are... Uh, when you think of these people, or this worldview, it's a lot more superstitious and ritual. Uh, witch doctors in the spiritual realm, angels and demons, charms or amulets or um, spells uh, or even sacrifices and curses. People in the power-fear worldview are trying to appease the supernatural into doing things for them. They want control of their world. They want power and influence. This worldview is often more animistic or tribal, where the, there is a powerful leader with uh, control over a group or uh, a tribe. Um, status and hierarchy uh, or one's position in the group is also important. But how does this worldview see the gospel? When a power-fear person reads the Bible, they see the fear of Adam or the fear after one has sinned. Yet they also see how God clothed them and reconciled them, how God atoned for or covered their mistake and sin and said, it's okay, don't be afraid, I'm in control of this, you can trust in me. They see how the God-man Jesus showed his power on the cross by overcoming death and coming back to life. They see uh, a powerful God who is in control. And this can be seen throughout the Bible in his miracles and his actions. So a person in a power-fear worldview can trust in the God of the Bible. And another example, a great example of this in the Bible is the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Right, so we've, we've laid the groundwork for today's topic, Jesus in all the Bible. What are we going to do with the rest of our time? Uh, because I have four kids and we do 
uh, church at home, which we did a lot during COVID time. Uh, when we do that, we often read the story, then we watch a video on the story, and then we talk about that. So we're going to do it today. Sometimes we acted it out, but uh, I didn't want to ask Patrick to come act out my story today. So we're just going to do the uh, listening, the watching, and then the talking about. All right. So, and the reason for this is that some people like to, they like to hear the story. Some people need to visualize the story, and some people need to talk about it. So, um, yeah, we're going to read today from Luke 24. I don't have the verses on the screen because there was a lot of them. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can open it, or you can just listen. We're going to read the whole chapter uh, just to understand it all. And then we're going to watch the video. So if there's any children, there are some children. The children, you guys can be ready to watch a cool video that's going to be about the same story, just visualized. All right, so Luke 24. In verse 1, it says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about, about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That, uh, verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does, does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while they talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. 
And they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. All right, so now we're going to watch a video. Stories of the Bible, The Road to Emmaus. This is Jesus. Hey, who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. He did many miracles like calming storms and even raised people from the dead. But some people did not like what Jesus was doing and they put him to death. He died on a cross and was buried in a tomb. For three days, Jesus' body laid in that tomb and it seemed that there was no hope. But very early on Sunday morning, the woman who cared for Jesus went to go visit his body, found that his tomb was empty and that he was no longer there. Ah! For he was risen. He was alive. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to a village called Emmaus and talking about everything that had happened with Jesus. As they were talking, Jesus suddenly came and walked with them. Oh, hello. But God kept them from recognizing Jesus. Jesus asked them what they were talking about. The two men were very sad. One of them, whose name was Cleopas, said, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. Uh. Jesus asked, What things? The men replied, The things that happened to Jesus. And they began to tell Jesus about everything that had happened to him. They told him that some women had gone to his tomb and said that his body was missing and that others had gone to see if it was true and saw that his body really was gone. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people! You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. 
Uh, let me explain. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus. Jesus acted as if he was continuing on. Hey, wait! But the men begged him to stay the night with them because it was getting late. Come with us! Oh, okay. So Jesus went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, Jesus blessed the bread. Then he broke the bread and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus. It's you! And at that moment, he disappeared. Where'd he go? The men said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he explained the scriptures to us? Come on! And that hour, they made their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and the others who were with them and told them their story. As they were telling their story, Jesus was suddenly standing among them. Well, that's all that happened. Yep. Ah! Everyone was frightened and thought he was a ghost. Okay, come on, guys. But Jesus showed that it was really him. He showed them his hands and feet, and they all watched him in awe. Then Jesus asked for something to eat. Oh, got anything to eat? And they gave him fish to eat. Oh, that's good. Jesus reminded them that everything happened as it was supposed to and helped them understand the scriptures. Then he promised to send them the Holy Spirit and told them to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would come and fill them with the power from heaven. rather than uh, just listen to them. Uh, but today we got four points with four accompanying questions. Uh, point number one is going to be, they did not believe. And we see this in the first 12 verses there. Uh, so the question is, why did they not believe? We know that the women followed Jesus to the cross, that they watched Jesus die on the cross, that they uh, then followed him to the grave. So they knew exactly where he was buried. Then they went home to prepare spices and ointments for his burial. Uh, on, the, on the first day, as our uh, story today started, uh, they returned, but to their surprise, they saw that the stone had been moved away, that the, the stone that was in front of the grave was no longer there. And then they looked in and saw that Jesus was not there. As we would all be in that moment, they were very confused, right? To make it worse, two men began speaking to them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, they said. He is risen. And then the woman uh, remembered Jesus' words about his impending death and subsequent resurrection. And in their excitement, they ran back home. And they ran back to tell the others. Isn't it interesting, though, that the first interactions about the resurrection are with women? Uh, unfortunately, in those days, the testimony or the words of women didn't have much authority. But Luke's inclusion of the women in today's story shows a high respect for them. They, that alone is a message that we can share with our world, with our Muslim friends, with, uh, with anybody in our world today, because this is such a hot, a hot issue. We can share this message of the gospel of Jesus. The message of Jesus is for all people, both genders, all nations, all ages, all people. Women are just as valuable as men. Women are not second class, that God highly esteems them, and we can see that in our story today. 
But unfortunately, the disciples of that day didn't have the same beliefs because they didn't believe the testimony of the women, the women that came back and said, hey, Jesus isn't in the grave anymore, and the disciples there didn't believe it. They thought that, as the text says, that it was just nonsense, that it was an idle tale, that they were just trying to get attention. But as a result, they did not believe them. But Peter, and we know from the Gospel of John that John and Peter they wanted to investigate these claims of the women. So they got up, left the house, and ran to the grave. And they got there, they kind of looked in, they saw the clothes uh, sitting there, and know Jesus. And then they marveled, because even though they didn't see Jesus, they knew that something amazing had happened there that day. All right, so just as a, a point of application here, when people come to us, with information, what are we using to fact-check their information? In our day, fact-checking is uh, an everyday thing. Uh, the normal, that it's a normal process that's done, right? Uh, whether we like it or not, because there's so much false information out there, we have fact-checkers who investigate everything. But we, do we just trust these fact-checkers, or should we investigate it ourselves? I'd say that when it comes to Jesus and our faith, that we have to be doing our own fact-checking. And thankfully, we have the perfect Word of God that we can look into to find the answers. But in our story, the disciples were sad. They thought that Jesus was going to be their triumphant king, but he was dead, and he had been in the ground for three days. They didn't remember what he said. But if they had just remembered that he said he was going to die and come back to life, then they wouldn't have been so sad. They would have been waiting, but rather waiting in in sadness, they would have been waiting in expectation. If they had known the Bible, if they had known that all the Bible is about Jesus, if they had used the Bible to fact-check this, then they would have known that Jesus wasn't going to stay dead. They would have known that he truly was their Messiah and King. But we know from what we read today that they were blinded and veiled to the truth. They weren't able to see. But for us today, do we know the Bible? Like, do we actually know the Bible, or is it just something that we read occasionally? Do we use it to fact-check the info around us? Do we, uh, the things that we hear on the news or on the radio, are we using it to correct false doctrines and beliefs of our friends? When our friends come to us, are we, are we, is, is our first instinct to go to the Bible for answers about life? Are we using it to show them the truth? Since we have the perfect word of God, we need to be using it to not only edify our own lives, but also impact the lost around us. All right, so we got yeah, point number two. There we go. Is going to be they met with Jesus. So the question is, what did Jesus say to them? Two men are walking down the road to Emmaus. Uh, when suddenly Jesus begins walking with them. They couldn't recognize him, but it didn't stop them from talking with him. Jesus had been listening to their conversation, so he asked them what they were talking about. And yeah, we saw the man named Cleopas uh, is, is somewhat dumbfounded, right? And you can hear it in his astonishment. Uh, Are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened here today? Are the only person in the world who hasn't seen the news on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or heard about it on the news or radio? 
How do you not know what happened here? But then Jesus again asks him, What things are you talking about? Then Cleopas, in his sadness, tells Jesus that the one they thought was going to be their Messiah, because he was mighty in word and deed, the one who was going to rescue Israel from Rome, the one who they had put all their hope in, had been killed by the Jewish leaders. But after spending many years with him, maybe his whole life, Cleopas was looking for the promised Savior, but all of his hopes and dreams were crushed there on the cross by the Jewish chief priests. But then look what Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow to believe in all the prophets and what they have said. Basically, the prophets already told you that this was going to happen and you didn't believe. And you can hear the sarcasm in Jesus' voice, but keep in mind that the men still don't recognize him as Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say that even Jesus told you that this was going to happen and you didn't believe him. In fact, and you can see on the screen there, there's three times in the book of Luke where Jesus is recorded as telling the disciples exactly what was going to happen. In Luke 9, it says, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Uh, later on in Luke 9, But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said this to his disciples, these, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Luke 18, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things, this saying that was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Yet despite all of that, Jesus is tender with them. He cared about them, and he wants to show them the truth. So in one of the best verses in all the Bible, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, or the things concerning Jesus. We do not know exactly what Jesus said to them on that road, but we know that the master teacher or the master storyteller never disappoints. So the word in this verse that my Bible uses here is interpreted. Some uh, versions use expound, but the Greek word there means to stick close to the text. You don't venture off on rabbit trails or fancy language or stories. You make it clear for the hearer to understand and apply what is being said. So when a pastor expounds upon a Bible verse, he is merely letting the text speak for itself. He is helping to clarify, and that is exactly what Jesus did for these two men. He helped them understand the message of the Bible, all the way from Moses through the prophets, uh, that it was all about him. The Messiah and Savior of Genesis is the, same, is the same Messiah and Savior who is seated on the throne in Revelation. Like I said, we don't know what Jesus told these men, but I'm going to show you that Jesus is, in fact, in all of the Bible, in every one of the 66 books. Uh, in these books, he's either pictured, prophesied, or typified. And according to a commentator, Leon Morris, we should not understand this as the selection of a number of proof texts, as if we are just selecting verses out of context 
and making it fit our topic, but rather as showing that throughout the Old and New Testament, a consistent divine purpose is being worked out, a purpose that in the end meant and must mean the cross. Everything before Jesus, Moses and Adam, uh, David, Joseph, the major prophets, the minor prophets, all look to Jesus, the cross, and his resurrection, whereas Everything after Jesus, the church fathers, the medieval ages, our century, the 21st century, we're all looking back, or 25th century, we're all looking back to Jesus, the cross, and his resurrection. The Bible is all about him and this single event. So if we think back to these three different worldviews, Jesus is not just the God of the guilt and innocence or the God of the honor, shame, or the power, fear. As you will shortly see, Jesus is the judge that speaks to those within the guilt innocence. He's the atoning sacrifice who mends the relationship for the honor and shame. He's the miracle worker for those within the power, fear worldviews. All three worldviews can understand Jesus because Jesus has made himself known to them in various ways. This book, the Bible, is not a fairy tale, right? It's, it's pieced together by men many centuries ago, and it's a masterpiece written by God through men and every book pointing to Jesus' character, attributes, actions, and promises. All right, so now uh, I got, let's see here. Here we go. It's a big list. We got 66 books in the Bible. I'm going to read through these. As we read through these, you can think on them. Uh, you know a lot of these things, but it's nice to just see it all at one time and see that Jesus truly is in all the Bible, which gives it uh, credibility, continuity, and yeah, it's just kind of, it's just awesome, right? All right, so I'm going to read through these. Jesus in all the Bible. In Genesis, Jesus is the seed of the woman, the king of Judah, as Isaac, the sacrificed son, as Joseph, the rejected brother. In Exodus, the Passover lamb, the manna from heaven, as Moses, the deliverer. In Leviticus, he is the high priest, the atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, the cloud and the fire, the bronze serpent. In Deuteronomy, the faithful prophet like Moses, the captain of, or sorry, in Joshua, the captain of the Lord's Army and judges, he is the judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, the anointed one, the son of David, as David the king in exile, as Jonathan the faithful friend. In First and Second Kings, he is the reigning and coming king, and as Elisha the miracle worker. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the glorious temple. In Ezra, the restorer of the temple. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, the preserver of the nation. In Job, the living redeemer. In Psalms, he is the Lord who is our shepherd and the Messiah. In Proverbs, the wisdom of God. In Ecclesiastes, he is the great teacher. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant, the God with us. He is the God-man and the light to the Gentiles. In Jeremiah, he is the maker of the new covenant. In Lamentations, the man of sorrows. In Ezekiel, he is the son of man. In Daniel, he is the coming Messiah. In Hosea, the lover of the unfaithful. In Joel, he is the one who restores. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty judge. In Jonah, he is the res resurrected one and the foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the peace. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is the Lord in his holy temple. In Zephaniah, the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he is the restorer of our heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain of cleansing. 
In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. In Matthew, he is the king of kings, or sorry, the king of Jews and the promised Messiah. In Mark, he is the miracle worker and the faithful servant. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, the son of God. In Acts, the savior of the world and the ascended Lord. In Romans, he is the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he is the last Adam. In 2 Corinthians, he is the God of all comfort. In Galatians, the redeemer from the curse. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, the all-sufficient Christ. In Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead. In 1 Thessalonians, the Lord coming down from heaven. In 2 Thessalonians, the judge coming with blazing fire. In 1 Timothy, the mediator. 2 Timothy, the master. In Titus, the blessed hope. In Philemon, the substitute. In Hebrews, the great high priest. In James, the giver of wisdom. In 1 Peter, the chief shepherd. In 2 Peter, the morning star. In 1 John, the word of life. In 2 John, the son of the father. In 3 John, the truth. In Jude, the foundation of our faith. And in Revelation, the king of kings and lord of lords. All right. Amen, yeah? So how can we apply these things to our life? Just like these men met Jesus on the road, are we regularly meeting with Jesus? Are we spending time with him in prayer and and time in the word uh, together? Are we reading the Old Testament and the New Testament? I know it's really easy to just kind of camp out in the New Testament, but are we reading the Old Testament as well? The simple truth is that if we are followers of Jesus today, we must be doing these things. Since the Bible is all about him, it benefits us to not only read the Old Testament and the New Testament, but also have a good understanding of them. I know the Old Testament can be boring at times, right, to read through Numbers and all the laws of Leviticus or the kings, but uh, when we begin to connect the priesthood of Leviticus with Jesus as the great high priest in Hebrews, or begin to see the light of the Gentiles in Isaiah, to the open invitation for the Gentiles by Jesus in the Gospels, then we will have a greater appreciation and grasp of this book, the Bible. But to do that, it requires work uh, accompanied by prayer. Maybe we need to find a friend who can hold us accountable to read it or one who we can go to uh, when we have a difficult passage um, that we've encountered, right? Because yeah, sometimes the Bible is difficult to understand, but when we do this together as a community or as a body, it, uh, it, it seems to be a whole lot easier. All right, and since this book is one big book with one amazing message, it is imperative that we understand it. All right, we got two last points here. Oh, sorry, there's our that. Uh, so anyways, point number three is their eyes and minds were open. So the question is, what did they see and understand? They understood uh, the purpose of the Bible, but they also saw Jesus. As the men continued talking with Jesus in our story today, even though they didn't know it was him, they invited him into their house to have a meal together. And then Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it. And then it says that they immediately uh, could see him. Their eyes were open. But what was it about that moment that led them to see that this was Jesus? We don't know why it was right after Jesus broke the bed. Maybe it was something... Maybe it was connected to how Jesus did this a few days ago, right before his death. Maybe they recognized that this was Jesus. He did it the same way. We don't really know. We don't, we don't know, but we do know that their eyes were finally open. They literally saw Jesus and understood who he was. They saw his glorified body. They literally uh, touched the holes in his hands and in his feet. They were with their Savior, and they were astonished. 
But then Jesus does a little more. He opens their minds to understand how the entire Bible is about him. Imagine that moment. Imagine uh, being there that day, the men that you had walked with for three years, who you thought was gone forever, comes back to life, and now you recall that he said he was going to do exactly that. Imagine the joy and excitement that you would feel, the awe and wonder. But for us today, do we often recall the things that Jesus has done uh, and marvel at them? Or have we become so numb to it or so used to it that we have forgotten them? Do we remember the goodness of the gospel, that our sins are forgiven, that we have a relationship with the God of the universe, that he loves us always, that he controls everything? Or do we just live our day on our own strength and power? But it doesn't stop there. Our last point for today is they testified to the gospel. We see this in the final few verses of the chapter. And the question that we need to ask is why or why or what did they testify about? Jesus told them that they were going to be his witnesses, but they needed to wait for the promised Holy Spirit to come. And then Jesus departed and returned to heaven. And then we see the disciples and followers of Jesus continue to worship him. Even after Jesus left them, they continued to praise him. It's a little ironic, don't you think? Jesus has just spent three years with them, telling his disciples that he was going to die and come back to life. But once he was killed, once he left them, they lost all hope. But now that he tells them that he is going to leave them and then send the Holy Spirit, they are full of praise and joy. The sadness that they had after his death has become joy. The weakness that they felt after their leader was killed has become power from on high. The purpose that they had lost is now recovered as they are sent out to testify to the gospel of Jesus. But why is that? It's because they met with Jesus, they had a relationship with him, and their eyes and mind, minds were open. They had full understanding. Jesus had given them the ability to understand everything that he had said while with them. Jesus had kept his promise, and now they had the task of telling the world about this promise-keeping, death-overcoming, sin-removing God and Savior. Easy task, right? <laughs> but for us, we, are we seeking opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus with others? Do we love our family and friends enough to tell them about God and Jesus and the gospel? Or do we remain silent because we are afraid or fearful of their response? For the believers in the room today, we have met Jesus, and everyone who has a relationship with Jesus is a changed person. So we must live our lives like the disciples who, after seeing Jesus, they received their orders and continued worshiping and praising him. But if you have never met Jesus today, talk to somebody today. I'm sure there are people around you who would love to talk to you about Jesus. Believe in him and worship with us. All right. Thank you all. I'm going to close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I think that we could gather together again. Uh, we 
don't want to take that for granted these days, that we can gather together as a body and read your, read your word, um, pray together, encourage one another. We thank you uh, for this story about you uh, being with these two men on the road to Emmaus and that you opened their eyes and their minds to understand everything that you had said in the Bible, Lord. We, we thank you that we can trust your word, that we can go to any book in the Bible and see you in it, that we can trust that it is true. I pray that you would help us as we leave this place to be witnesses, to be your witnesses, to testify to the goodness of the gospel, and that you would bring people into our path, uh, as there are so many around us who either don't know about Jesus and the gospel, or who don't understand it well, or have never heard it before, Lord. I pray that you would uh, equip us to be your witnesses in this place here in Dusseldorf, in Ratzingen, in Duisburg, all over Germany, Lord. We thank you that we can uh, 